From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. On today's show, we welcome Becky Stowe, director of forests at the Nature Conservancy. She's here to talk about the Pascagoula River Wildlife Conservation Program she works on and the Pascagoula River Drainage. One of the largest free-flowing bodies of water in the U.S., the Pascagoula River, is a natural wonder. Becky is here to tell us about how she and her organization are preserving its legacy. Also, Dr. Major's on hand, ready to take your pet questions. Join the conversation this morning with your phone call. The number's 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Or send an email, animals at mpbonline.org. You're listening to Creature Comforts from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. On today's show, we welcome Becky Stowe, who's Director of Forests at the Nature Conservancy. She's here to talk about the Pascagoula River Wildlife Conservation Program she works on and the Pascagoula River Drainage. One of the largest free-flowing bodies of water in the U.S., the Pascagoula River is a natural wonder. Becky's here to tell us about how she and her organization are preserving its legacy. Also, Dr. Major is on hand, ready to take your pet questions. You can join our conversation with a phone call. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's one 877 Six seven two seven four six four, or send an email. It's animals at mpbonline.org. And uh, you always have two chances to hear Creature Comforts. It airs Thursday mornings and repeats Saturday mornings at 6. So good morning. Hope that everyone's doing well this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Dr. Major, anything exciting or new in, in the world of pets? Hmm. I don't know. I think we're all going to float away. Uh, <laughs> the mosquito population is uh, really burgeoning, I guess is the right word. Uh, and certainly that can be of importance to our pets, especially the outside pets. Uh, certainly we know that mosquitoes carry heartworm microfilaria and can spread <coughs> heartworms and other diseases as well. So uh, and that's of importance right now. We need to be aware of uh, mosquito control, and uh, it's almost ridiculous to say empty out containers because there's plenty of water everywhere. But mm-hmm. uh, I'd say that that's one of the issues. And, uh, you know, other than that, uh, we'll see what effect the uh, solar eclipse has on, on our pets uh, next week. Uh, the good thing, if you're a cat owner, your your cat is probably sleeping at that time of the day anyway, so it probably won't affect him too much. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, you know, another thing, too, with mosquitoes, obviously uh, humans concerned as well with, with West Nile virus. So, uh, you know, take the proper precautions when you go out. And But you're right, though, you know, all of the sort of the water, I know in the park I walk in in Pearl, there are just parts of that that are underwater that normally aren't are because the thing that's been unusual to me with this rain we've had recently is that it just has been so hard. It's you know when it starts to rain, it seems like it really just pours. And I think the other day it was pretty much constant rain for almost an hour. So it's been uh, an interesting weather year to say the least. Uh, Libby, what about some things uh, coming up at the museum? Well, uh, glad you asked. August the twenty-first, of course, is Eclipse Day, and they're having a big eclipse party. 
and the um, earlier part of the morning will be more for school kids. And then starting at 12.30, which is pretty much right when it's going to start happening, and and then the culmination is at 1.26, and uh, during that um, hour, there will be lots of information, and before and after, too, there's lots of information, and there will even be folks there to answer all kinds of questions. They've got a connection with NASA on the coast, so they'll have all the up-to-date stuff, and should it cloud over or be rainy, they'll have a um, a presentation from NASA okay. of, uh, I guess, an uncloudy location <laughs> for this thing. So you'd be able to at least watch it to some degree. And on the big screen, you'll feel a little, I guess, more into it. But hopefully we'll be able to see it in person. Well, that, that is a worry. I think I've heard that it, it might be very cloudy. I know some yeah. friends of mine are, are driving to Nashville for the uh, thing, and I thought, gosh, <laughs> I hope that you don't drive all that way and it's cloudy. Plus, you and your fellow million other people that will be there. So uh, one other thing I heard on the radio the other day that's a good reminder is that just like we are not supposed to look at the uh, the eclipse due to damage to our eyes, it will also fry out your phone, uh, the camera phone. So don't try to take a picture of it. In fact, I think the suggestion was if you do want to try to take a picture of it, to take get an extra pair of those glasses and pull the 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 lens, as it were, out of that and put that over your camera lens in that way because uh, it said that uh, much like our eyes don't like that bright sun, uh, the uh, the internal mechanisms of your phone camera can be fried as well. So that's a reminder mm. of... Uh, I to really enjoy, but enjoy safely. That to use your phone to take pictures of everybody else's face when they're, <laughs> when they're watching instead of instead of trying to take a picture of the eclipse. Uh, we're going to speak with our guest Becky Stowe in just a minute, but it looks like we've got an early pet call on the line. So why don't we invite AJ from the Delta onto the program? Good morning, AJ. Hey, good morning. I'd like to address a question, Doctor Major, if I might. Sure, go ahead. Um, I'm a I'm an owner of a of a large breed dog, an Irish Shutter. And uh, the other morning we were riding our bicycle and running him a little bit. He uh, wanted to roll and rub his shoulder extensively in a odorous material on the ground. And I, he's done this a couple of times in the last three years that I've owned him. Why does a dog do that? <laughs> you, could, you could answer in many ways. It's almost like perfume. Uh, the, I don't know what the material was that he was rolling on, but, uh, they, you know, dead fish, for example, I've had dogs at the river before, you know, there's fish on the bank the dog wants to go roll in it. I don't know exactly what was going on here, but it is a natural instinct. And, uh, I I would think it'd be very hard to keep him from doing it. Are they, are they, does a dog use that as an attractant or a deterrent? Good question. I would think it'd be more that it's attractive to the dog. Uh, now, whether it would be an attractant to uh, other dogs, I don't know. But yeah, it uh, had the, it's just a gosh off smell to it, and, and, it, and every time he does it, it has a gosh off smell. Well, that's, that's an interesting topic. Maybe we can research that a little bit and find out more. But they do it because they can and they love it. So that's that. Well, I appreciate it. I was just curious. I I told my wife, I said, I'm going to call when the show's on again and find an answer to that question. I appreciate your thoughts. Take care. Thank you.
Thanks for the call, AJ. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're going to be visiting throughout the hour with Becky Stowe. She's our guest this morning, and she's Director of Forests at the Nature Conservancy. So, Becky, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me this morning. First of all, if you could remind us of what the Nature Conservancy is and sort of their mission. Well, the Nature Conservancy is a uh, nonprofit organization. We're a conservation group that does restoration and management of our properties in Mississippi. We have nature preserves across the, the whole United States, and um, and we actually have chapters in well over 30 different countries across the world. All right. Uh, and so as uh, Director of Forests, if you could give us a, an idea of some of the things that you work on. Sure. Um, what, one of the things that I do is manage all of our nature preserves here in Mississippi. We own about 12,000 acres, uh, mostly in southeast Mississippi, and we do our own management on those preserves. We do prescribed fire, and we fight invasive species, and we try to improve the habitat for uh, rare and endangered species. All right. We'll be talking to Becky throughout the hour, so if you uh, have a question about the work of the Nature Conservancy or specifically about uh, the Pascagoula River that we'll be talking about this morning, you can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Got a couple more phone calls to get to. We return again to the phones. Uh, Past Christian on the line. Renee's called in today. Good morning. Go ahead, Renee. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Um I have a question for the vet. It's actually just a suggestion. Um, he was talking about important things for our pets, and um, I do a lot of traveling uh, around the coast, and uh, I do find still, I do still see many, many dogs tied up outside, and uh, I just want the vet to remind people in this terrible heat how important fresh, clean water is on a consistent, regular basis. It is really one of the things that concern me a lot. Absolutely, and that's a good point. Uh, and, of course, you know, the, the basics uh, always go back to, regardless of the dog's outside, shelter uh, from elements, shelter uh, from the sun, rain, and cold weather as well, uh, but also always maintain an adequate source of water. And certainly if a dog is tied out, which I would prefer not to have anything tied, but sometimes people have to. But uh, something that will not turn over, that's one of the problems. If you have a water container that can be knocked over anything, certainly it could be a bad situation in this uh, heat index of 105-plus uh, that we anticipate today. So thank you for your call. That's very good information. And I would also suggest if you have a place where your dog goes for shelter, if you have an old maybe box fan that you don't use anymore, if you could plug that up and, and turn that on, I imagine your dog would like the, the breeze there in his shelter as well. So that might be something to think about to help keep them uh, comfortable uh, in this heat. And that's, you know, it, it's been either ex- extremely hot or awfully rainy. So like I said, it's been an interesting uh, weather pattern we've had here for the last uh, several weeks. Got some more calls to get to. Next, we're off to Beaumont, our friend Sue on the line. Good morning, Sue. Good morning. How are y'all? Doing good. I'd like to ask Becky a question. Uh, it was over 10 years ago when the Department of Energy was talking about uh, taking 50 million gallons of water a day from the Leaf River to flush out a salt dome up here in Richardson, right above, right above me. And, uh, doesn't the Leaf River drain into the Pascagoula River? Isn't that the confluence of the Leaf and the Chickasahay? That's absolutely right. The Leaf and the Chickasahay come together to form the Pascagoula River. So then when they figured out they couldn't get enough, they couldn't get 50 gallons a, a, a day from the leafer, they decided to go down to the Pascagoula River. But everybody protested. I, I'm, I'm so surprised that there was such apathy around here and nobody said anything. I, I went to the 
meeting that the Department of Energy had and um, protested, and, and you, you could put your protest on tape for the Department of Energy for forever. You could have your comments on tape, but anyway, uh, but nobody said anything. It was the people down on the coast who were who were protesting because they didn't want all that salty water from flushing out the salt dome to go down and go into the bay down there. So I'm just wondering if you are the and the people there at the you know taking care of the nature preserve are, are y'all aware of you knew about all that right we do actually uh we try to, to keep up with um, all kind of uh, environmental concerns that uh that might affect the river or might affect our nature preserves or or any kind of species that we work really hard to protect so we do keep a, a tab on all those sorts of things and we were uh definitely involved in that commenting process because, because I, I didn't hear i didn't hear anything from from people who wanted to protect the, the river then nothing well, I know, I know on the coast there were some groups that did come out and oppose it. Um, the Nature Conservancy is generally a non-confrontational uh, organization, but we do, you know, we work to protect that river, and, and we do keep up with uh, any kind of environmental issues, and, and if it's prudent for us to comment, we definitely do that. I was ready to go pick it. I was ready to do anything. <laughs> All right. So, uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for the call. That was, yeah, the, I believe the, they wanted to use the Richland salt domes for storage of nuclear waste, if I remember correctly. Well, they had talked about that at one time. The, the last time they wanted to use it, it was for oil. It was okay. going to store oil. Uh, we need to take a break. When we get back, we'll continue visiting with our guest, Becky Stowe. She's Director of Forests at the Nature Conservancy. We're going to be talking about the uh, Pascagoula River and the work uh, that the Nature Conservancy does in Mississippi. Dr. Major is here, ready to take some pet questions if you have one. So give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring The phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We'll be back with more of the show after this. MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and the state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with uh, Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Visiting with us this morning is our guest, Becky Stowe. She is the director of forests at the Nature Conservancy. So today we're going to be talking about the work the Conservancy does in Mississippi, focusing specifically on the work in the Pascagoula River uh, area. Uh, if you'd like to join the conversation, we've got some open phone lines, so give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Got some calls to get to, but first, AJ called in earlier this morning wondering about why dogs want to roll around in uh, foul-smelling odors, and did a Google search, and one of the suggestions is, uh, many believe it's an instinctual behavior, uh, hearkening back to the days when dogs' wild ancestors would mask their scent to help them sneak up on their prey. So, um, 
I don't know. That it seems like. Uh, <laughs> seems like it would draw attention to yourself. I was going to say you, you don't smell like a wolf, but you're a small foul-smelling thing. So I yeah, think I still yeah, might I, be. I'm sure that may be a valid uh, argument. I would also say though that uh, it depends on what they rolled in. Okay. <laughs> and also, I think you're right, yeah. Doctor Major. I think it's they just like to do that. You know, yeah, it's uh, yeah. and it, you know who knows what what connection they have with the uh, f- uh, primal instinct to do that that's a good point i hadn't thought about that but uh i could see how it could have complications depending on what you were hunting yeah <laughs> with my dogs i've always equated it to us wearing bright colors yeah they're just uh, a bright happy stink to them yeah, and, and they love yeah. it they're so happy yeah. to show you or to, or to present themselves after and, they've and, done it <laughs> and i swear the worst is a fish now that, that's that's bad <laughs> You try to be camping somewhere, and yeah. you don't want the dog to come around <laughs> anymore. The dog's happy. <laughs> Got some Koval's, uh, phone calls to get to. Let's start again in Madison. Jim's called in today. Good morning, Jim. Go ahead. Good morning. Um, I'd like to ask your guest if she could bring us up to date on the proposal to dam a tributary of the Pascagoula uh, in George County. I think it's called a George County Lakes Project. Sure, sure. I'll, the the latest that I know about it is it's it's in a planning process, and it's kind of quieted down for a while. It is a, a proposal to dam up um, Cedar Creek, which is a tributary to the Pascagoula River, uh, to provide a reservoir for uh, George County and part partly in Jackson County. Um, I know there's been a lot of opposition to the project, and there's been some support as well. So. From what I understand, right now it's in a planning process. It's kind of uh, in the Corps of Engineers' hands, and I think it's. Um, I, I don't. I don't. I don't know that it's going to go forward. I, I just don't know right now. So we'll just have to keep a tab on that, and uh, you know, watch and see what happens. And when there's an opportunity to do a public comment, uh, please do that. Okay, I'm I'm a longtime member of the Conservancy and would appreciate a heads up when the comment period opens. Absolutely, absolutely. There was one comment period about a year ago. I, I'm thinking, and uh, I know they received a great deal of uh, of comments about that. But uh, we will we will definitely keep you posted. Great, thank you so much. Thanks for the call, Jim. We've got some open phone lines if you'd like to join the conversation this morning as we visit with Becky Stowe, uh, the Director of Forests at the Nature Conservancy. Uh, Dr. Major here, ready for some pet questions at one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one 672 So, Becky, what is unique about the Pascagoula River in, the, in that area? Oh, the Pascagoula is such a cool place, and I grew up around there in George County, and, and it's, it is right now the, the largest by volume of water undammed river in the lower 48 states. Um, it is pristine. A lot of the property along the river is conserved forever, so a lot of it's in the Pascagoula River Wildlife Management Area. The Nature Conservancy owns several preserves along the river, and uh, uh, we helped with the acquisition last year of uh, 2,100 more acres, which actually joined up some of our nature preserves with the uh, the DeSoto National Forest. And, and that acquisition, uh, which eventually was turned over to the Mississippi Forestry Commission to manage, uh, it joined up over 400,000 acres of protected land. So that's the largest conservation area in Mississippi. 
And I think uh, from visiting with folks from the Conservancy on previous shows, the, that idea of acquiring land is, is one of your kind of go-to methods for, for helping uh, preserve habitat. What happens um, uh, when the land is, is uh, bought up, and, and what is a preserve, and, and what happens with that land, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, acquisition has been something that we've done uh, since our the very beginning of the Nature Conservancy, and it's still something we do today. So sometimes we, we are able to uh, acquire land in one way or the other. Sometimes we buy it. Sometimes we buy it for a state agency or a federal agency like a wildlife refuge or a wildlife management area. Um, Sometimes we keep that property. Sometimes we pass it along to another agency where it fits better. Um, What we like to do is buffer properties that are already protected like national forest and uh, state-owned lands to kind of link up those different protected areas. And uh, sometimes we're uh, given a donation of properties, and so uh, we keep those. Or if it's a donation of property in the middle of a a subdivision, sometimes we're able to actually sell that and use that money to go into another conservation property. And so the idea is to uh, sort of leave the land undeveloped, prevent uh, or, or leave it as it's in, in its natural habitat. That's right, and we try to improve that natural habitat because sometimes there's invasive species on there that need to to go away. So we we use herbicide or however we need to get rid of those invasive species, and sometimes re- replant with native species, you know, trees and and the understory grasses and things like that. And uh, the idea about it uh, being a free flow, I guess, uh, uh, the uh, creating a dam um, creates a set of different problems, challenges. What is the importance of free flow? It does. For animals like the Gulf sturgeon, which actually breed way up on the Bowie River, which is near Hattiesburg, but then they spend a lot of their time out in the in the Gulf. So they have to be able to go up and down those rivers to, you know, to do their life cycle. And when you block it off in any way, I mean, it, it just creates this, uh, you know, real impediment for them. And a lot of times they'll try to go find another place to lay eggs and it's just not as successful. So you can you can lose species when you dam up rivers. And when you preserve land like this and, and try to pr- protect the habitat, it does it mean that it's off limits to any sort of human recreation or can humans share the this resource when managed properly oh absolutely a, a human can be very compatible with nature um you know with some restrictions so uh some of our nature preserves are, are open to the public some are not it just depends on what we're trying to protect and where that property is and whether it's just it just doesn't make sense for us to try to manage it for people but you know that's one of the reasons that we help with the other organizations acquire land like the state and uh, federal land so those are definitely open to the public very good. We're visiting today with Becky Stowe, who's Director of Forests at the Nature Conservancy. We've got some open phone lines, so if you have a question about the work of the Conservancy or a pet question for Dr. Major, or if you just want to tell us about a brush with wildlife you've had recently, give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. You can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. And I mentioned my brief brush with the wildlife uh, that the park I walk in in Pearl every morning, 5 o'clock in the morning, so it's still dark, but heard an owl hooting the other day and obviously couldn't hear him, but he was I think he was way over on the other side of the park, so it was definitely uh, something that I could hear and uh, have, have heard a lot of frogs as well, uh, obviously, with all this rain that we've had. Got a caller to get to, so we go off to Ridgeland this time and say good morning to Eugene. Hi, Eugene. You're on the air. Go ahead. Just a quick question for Dr. Major. Is is a pedigree a good food, or if not, what do you recommend for a dog? 
Well, that's a, that's a, a question that a lot of people will ask, and a lot of it has to do with if you feeding pedigree right now and the dog is in good shape, good medical condition, I would say, you know, certainly you could keep doing it. Pedigree, I guess if you grade foods, it's probably a good middle-of-the-road food. Uh, it's relatively economical, uh, and I, I would say that a lot of dogs do quite well on it. If the dog has special needs, such as a skin problem or a, um, a, any other type of medical condition, whether it's uh, kidney problems, diabetes, uh, those things, they're specialized foods then that seem to work real well. And if your dog is doing all right on that food, and some people would disagree with me maybe, but if he's doing all right on that food, I would keep him on it. I appreciate your okay. advice. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Eugene, for your call. Um, we're visiting today with Becky Stowe, Director of Forest at the Nature Conservancy. Um, Becky, what sort of uh, animals uh, call the Pascagoula River area home? And, and so if we say we're big canoeing down the river, what, what sorts of uh, creatures would we be seeing? Well, I'll tell you, we have <clears throat> at least 300 different species of birds that use that river. And one of those is the swallowtail kite, which is such a cool, magical bird. And right now along the coast, you're seeing them. They're kind of getting ready to migrate back down to South America. They come up to uh, the, the Mississippi Gulf Coast and I think five different states along the Gulf. Um, to to nest, so they nest between like March and May, and they stay here all summer and make their, you know, this kind of their little summer vacation, and then you know for the winter they head back down to Brazil and other parts of South America, which is a pretty good life. But uh, you'll see them this time of year; they're gathering up some resources to to make that long trip back down. And and I know just the other day I saw a field full of dragonflies and. The swallowtail kites were after the dragonflies. There were probably 25 kites just soaring around, and they're beautiful black and white birds, and they hardly ever just – they don't ever flap their wings. They just soar. And it was a beautiful sight, and I was late for a meeting because I pulled over and watched them for so long. <laughs> oh, they are stunning. Yeah. In fact, if you've not seen – oh, excuse me, my voice. If you've not seen them, uh, that would be a good thing to go online and just look at so you can kind of figure out what you might see if you go down. And, you know, I think all uh, conservation um, agencies deal or uh, deal with the idea of limited resources. And would diversity be one reason why you might want to put some resources into a particular area? Oh, yeah. You know, species diversity is really important to the Nature Conservancy. And that is one of the reasons that the Pascagoula is a significant waterway is because we have a lot of different kind of fish that live in the river and, uh, you know, some endemic species. And by endemic, I mean those that just live in that river, like the yellow blotch sawback turtle. There's a lot of them in the river, but that's the only place that they're found. So, yeah, that's an important place for us because we can get a lot of bang for our buck in that river system. Let's get a call in before our next break. So we're going to visit with Bobby, who's called in from Petal this morning. Good morning, Bobby. Good morning. Go ahead. Uh, I guess I've got a wildlife question. I'm not sure. <clears throat> I've got a wraparound porch on my house, and in the ceiling of the porch I have these can lights that go all the way around. I don't turn them on a lot, but sometimes we do. But anyway, uh, a year or so ago, right in the middle of the porch, I found a little pile of what looked like rat pellets. Swept them up. The next day there's a few more a few more in the same spot. Uh, then they began to show up in different spots, and I got to looking around, and I realized that they showed up directly underneath these can lights, and now they'll be under five or six or seven different can lights. There may be dozens and dozens of pellets. I know it's not rats. I don't know what it is, where it's coming from, but they're directly under the lights. We don't leave the light. Don't even turn the lights on most of the time. Mm-hmm. Do you have any idea what my problem is? I would look 
Um, it may not be a problem if you, if it's flying squirrels. I guess that could be a problem. You're going to have to sweep up under them. But look and see if it's flying squirrels. Um, if you go out at night, you might be able to to see them. If they've got something to hang on in there, it depends on how slick the sides of the light are. Well, I haven't. Another wasp can get up in there. There's sometimes there'll be a wasp nest up inside, about the side of the big bulb. Yeah, then I think flying squirrels could probably attach there too. That might be what it is. And those uh, droppings would be that small. Could it be bats? Yeah, droppings look a good bit like a rat. Well, yeah. I guess it could be bats, but I haven't seen a bat or well, I haven't seen a flying squirrel on this property in 50 years. But uh, bats. Uh, once in a while, you might see a bat, but not under the porch. So I just. Mm-hmm. Am I the only one you've heard over this thing? Like somebody called in about well, this long time ago and did share the whole program. Yeah, we've and and I, that's I think what we've always decided is that it's probably flying squirrels. But, I see them at my place. Yeah, I think I pull pull down one or two of those cans if you can and look in behind there and see what's going on. Of course, they're uh, in the roof. You can't okay, get down. okay. If you yeah. could, if you could, that would be good. Uh, but I just uh, it's a little strange to see this. How okay? How big are the droppings? Well, they're bigger than a rat pellet. Uh, okay. Very small. My wife thought it was chipmunks because okay. she's got this. Uh, she's very prejudiced against chipmunks for some reason. That's what. She, <laughs> so she blames everything on them. But uh, I said no, they're too small for chipmunks. But I looked it up, and sure enough, that's about the same size. Yeah, and that's a flying squirrel too. Is about that size. But under the light, with the light not even being turned on, and that's just a curiosity. Well. See if you can't borrow somebody's trail camera, mm-hmm. set it up, and see what you can see. Yeah. That's the strange. And let us know if you find out, okay? Well, I'll, I'll see if I get any information let you know, then you can tell everybody. All right. Well, I guess one thing to ask, do, are the lights are still working. It's not something that's chewed into your yeah, yeah, electrical lights work. Okay. And yeah. once in a while, they're turned on, but not often. All right. Yeah, Bobby, uh, if, uh, do some uh, research on that. And maybe, like I said, if you can borrow someone's trail camera, if you find something out, uh, let us know. We'd be we'd be good, uh, glad to hear from you again. So thanks for the call. Time for another break. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're visiting today with Becky Stowe, who is Director of Forests at the Nature Conservancy. If you have questions about the work of the Nature Conservancy or specifically what they're doing along the Pascagoula River, or if you have a pet question, you can give us a call today. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven. 672-7464. Back with more of the show after this. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. And Libby Hartfield is retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. 
Today we're visiting with Becky Stowe, who is Director of Forests at the Nature Conservancy. Uh, we're talking about the Pascagoula River area uh, and some of the other work that the Nature Conservancy does. We're looking for any pet questions that you have as well. And uh, anytime you have a brush with wildlife or a wildlife question, you can always call in to one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can email the show animals at mpbonline.org. Becky, we talked a little bit about uh, some of the animals that are in the Pascagoula River area, but also uh, as uh, director of forests, is there some important forest uh, land in that area? Maybe some things that we wouldn't find in other parts of the state? Well, you know, we have a lot of beautiful cypress and tupelo gum swamps in the area. And there are some, some places where you can find really big cypress trees. Now, most of this was logged out in the late 1800s or early 1900s. And we sent our lumber all over the world because it was really uh, quality lumber. And it's it was used to build you know structures all over the place. But <clears throat> if a cypress tree was a hollow tree, it wasn't worth anything to those loggers. So every now and then, especially in that wildlife management area, you can find huge hollow cypress trees that are you know you could actually probably 25 feet around and those are kind of fun to go you know look for and i guess the other thing that's uh, encouraging is that when you're dealing with habitat even if it's been destroyed with proper work uh, we can restore habitat areas yeah it, it eventually will come back it may not ever look exactly like what we think it used to look like and that's that's always a question do we really know what it used to look like and how it used to function and we just do the best we can and try to you know put back those species that we think are missing or um you know or take them out if they didn't belong if we know they don't belong so yep it'll come back uh, what are some examples, uh, you mentioned the cypress trees, what are some uh, ex- other examples of, of sort of uh, native uh, plants and, and things that we would see in that area? Well, if you get into the uplands, you get into some longleaf pine habitat, which is beautiful, and that's that's what most of South Mississippi used to be. That's why we're called the Piney Woods, um, and that really, those longleaf pines are what built the timber industry in, in southeast Mississippi. So um, if you get up in like DeSoto National Forest, you can see some well-managed longleaf pine, and it's open. It's a grassy savanna, like it's not even. You don't even think of it, it's like a pine forest. It's grass and it's herbs and it's it's little flowers and pitcher plant bogs and it's a whole mosaic of of interesting little habitats that occur in that longleaf pine ecosystem. Uh, what is the uh, Pascagoula River watershed conservation? Well, we've been working since the 1970s to to protect that um, along the Pascagoula and the Pascagoula. It encompasses almost all of southeast Mississippi. Um, anything that drains into the Leaf River, like around Hattiesburg, anything that drains into the Chickasahay, which really starts way up near Meridian, that all flows into the Pascagoula River, which eventually flows into the Mississippi Sound. So it's connected to the Gulf. And uh, so we started working in the 1970s with uh, Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks on uh, an acquisition right along the main stem of the Pascagoula River. We were able to um, negotiate the purchase of over 30,000 acres turn that over to the state of Mississippi and uh, that's now the Pascagoula Wildlife Management Area and we've just continued kind of filling in those little those little pieces that would link up protected areas and work our way up the river and so right now we're working right at the confluence of the Leaf and Chickasahay and we've connected up to the uh, DeSoto National Forest and we're still uh, working on that conservation. 
And if I remember correctly from, again, previous visits from folks from the Nature Conservancy, uh, you work with a private landowner as well, maybe encouraging them to uh, to protect habitat. We do. We work with a lot of private lands, um, doing outreach and, and kind of, you know, advising people on how to manage their land. Sometimes they come to us and they say, you know, we, you know, this used, I know what this used to look like when my grandfather owned it. It was longleaf pine. And how do I get it to look like that again? How do I, you know, how do I bring the quail back and the turkey and how do I improve, you know, wildlife on my property and we can definitely give some technical advice and i think that's uh, what kind of makes mississippi unique is i think many people that lived here have those memories of of maybe visiting a place when they were young and so uh i've 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 heard that that you really do get a lot of uh, support and that private landowners really in many cases do buy into this whole idea of, of preservation and, and restoring habitat absolutely mississippians have a real sense of place and uh you know where we grew up fishing and you know playing in the mud puddles and riding our horses those places mean a lot to us and we uh, you know that's stuck in your memory forever and you think about that especially when you get older and and you want to return to those days and and you know you want that place to look like it used to look and you want your grandkids to be able to enjoy it the way that you did so um you know mississippians are great about that this is creature comforts on mpb think radio if you'd like to join our conversation we've got some open phone lines and the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring it's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four next we're going to visit uh, with diane who's called in from webster county this morning go ahead diane good morning good morning i want to say real quick i appreciate um this program and i appreciate mpb radio thank you and my question is for dr major and i needed to uh inquire what would be a safe material to use to make uh a platform for uh, an older dog in a pen. She's had some freedom for the past many years, and now I'm relocating, and she's going to require a pen when she's not inside with me. I'll need her in a pen for her own safety. So I needed to know if um, what should I use? Is pressure treated lumber okay? And uh, and and um, just a little advice on that, please. Sure. Uh, there are some uh, different materials that you could use. Uh, be careful with anything that's treated, uh, especially if a dog uh, is a gnaw or would chew on things. Uh, I'm not, probably at her age, you said she was an older dog? Yeah. I believe. They're, they make some, uh, and you could do this, actually, or have, if you have somebody could do it, out of PVC pipe. Uh, you can actually make a platform and then uh, either make a, like a hammock uh, which is, you know, some dogs would chew on that. Uh, there are other things that you could use, but certainly uh, I would say that in, in answer to your question, that pressure-treated lumber would be okay. Uh, I would try to cover it with something, though, from the standpoint of the dog being able to lay on it, like indoor-outdoor carpet or something else, especially if uh, this dog has arthritis, you might want to add some padding somehow to that. Uh, of course, okay. you wouldn't want anything that's going to get wet and then mildew. But uh, I would say a protective cover over the wood would be be good and make some uh, padding. Okay? okay, that's great. Thank you so much. You Thanks. take care and thank you. Thanks for your call, Diane. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're visiting today with Becky Stowe, who is director of forests at the Nature Conservancy. Becky, we talked about the the idea of free flow and how important that is. So. Uh, maybe the thinking about dams is something that uh, the Nature Conservancy is concerned with in terms of the Pascagoula watershed uh, area. What about sedimentation? Tell us what that is and, and why that's a concern. 
Well, I'll, I'll look at that from two different uh, angles. I guess if you put a dam on the river, <clears throat> excuse me, the sediment can't get down to where it usually would go. And so um, sediment that comes down the rivers helps create marshes at the, the very end, and that's what you see happening in Louisiana. It's, that's all been cut out. And so those marshes are receding pretty rapidly over there, and we definitely want to keep that from happening, you know, on the Pascagoula River. And then also, you know, there's a lot of erosion that goes into the river, and that can change things too. I know every now and then I get calls about about the river turning a different color and you can always trace it to some sort of construction right up, upstream that's you know somebody didn't use silt fence or it failed or or for some reason you know something started eroding and there's too much sediment getting into the system but that's why i think it's important um, in areas that might not be near here to be aware of what we're putting in the land uh in the water because everything Am I correct in saying that we everything eventually live, flows? We all live downstream from something. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Very good. Let's uh, head back to the phone lines. Uh, a caller from Hattiesburg, Grayson's on the line. Good morning, Grayson. Good morning. Can you hear me? Sure. Go ahead, please. Here's my question. On August, for Becky and, and everyone there, on August the 2nd, there was a yellow warbler in our great myrtle on a house in Escatulpa on the Pascagoula River. Uh, oddly, the, there was a yellow warbler there 10 days later. Don't know if it's the same bird or not. But it was eating something on the underside of my crepe myrtle leaves. I have a low-power microscope, 30 power, and I looked on the underside of some leaves, and there are tiny, tiny creatures, perhaps mites or aphids. But by my estimation, these creatures were so small, maybe less than a millimeter, maybe three-tenths of a millimeter by two-tenths, by one-tenth or two-tenths. So I figured it'd take 167,000 texts to get one gram of nutrients from these things. <laughs> yeah. Yet there was a yellow, yellow warbler clearly foraging on them ten days later. Can they? Is the energy balance? Can they actually gain energy from eating these tiny creatures? I mean, I would assume they have some protein in them, and I wonder if that was a prothonotary warbler or, or what kind of warbler it was. But yeah, I'm, I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, you know I've, I've wondered a similar thing. A you, yeah. Yeah, when you look at flycatchers, how hard they work for every little gnat, it, it you wonder how they how they keep their body weight up. Actually, but, but, but think but it about this. Work. Think about this also. There may be some nutrient in those that only requires many micro amounts, as opposed to the protein content. So there may be some uh, micronutrient that this bird instinctively knows about. Or it was just trying to help the great myrtle. I don't know which. <laughs> but uh, anyway, that's, that's an interesting observation, certainly. And I tell you, in general, birds don't seem to mind being busy, so it must benefit them in some way. Well, I often wonder about hummingbirds. You know, they, they hover, they get, uh, especially if you've got a feeder out, how much energy do they expend while they're sitting there hovering? <laughs> And eating, and they're they all. They seem to waste a lot of energy. They're, don't they're, they? zi- they're zipping around everywhere. And guarding, and, uh, guarding. And all yeah. that so busy guarding. Fighting mm-hmm. with each other, yeah, but, so, so, but yeah. yeah, you're right. Birds don't mind uh, doing some extra stuff. Mm-hmm. But that's interesting. I, if somebody knows what might be in those aphids that they like, uh, if they're aphids, I'm not sure that they are. 
uh, maybe there's some secret that they have. Yeah, All right, Grayson, good, good call. Thanks for calling in this morning to Creature Comforts. We need to take one final break this hour. When we get back, got some callers on the line. We'll visit with Reed and Corinth. Lee and Woodville is also on the line. And there's time for you to call in as well. So give us a call if you'd like to join the conversation. Our phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 We'll be back to wrap up Creature Comforts after this last break. Jazz can be just what the doctor ordered. Join me, Meredith Michelle, with WJSU's Evening Jazz, 7 to 10 weeknights on MPB Music Radio. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. And Libby Hartfield is the retired director of the Mississippi, Wild, uh, Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Visiting with us today, the director of forest at the Nature Conservancy, Becky Stowe. Right before the break, Grayson called in from Hattiesburg, and we were trying to figure out why birds would spend so much time sort of getting at these very, very tiny uh, insects on his crepe myrtle, I think he mentioned. And we were speculating during the break. I, I like the one we've come up with is that uh, it's bird candy. So just like we eat M&Ms, which are kind of tiny, and, you know, that's the other thing. Once you start in a bag of M&Ms, you can't stop, so it might be that these taste so good to the birds that once they start going on those little bugs, they just can't seem to help themselves. But uh, it's fun to speculate on that kind of thing. Uh, we see things in nature and, and try to figure out why they do that. It's a lot of fun to, to think about that sometimes. And we were impressed with Grayson's hard work on figuring out how much energy the bird was <laughs> yes. expending. Yes. Uh, let's get these phone calls in before time runs out. We'll start again in Corinth. Reed has called in today. Good morning, Reed. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call this morning. Go ahead. Uh, my question is for Becky, and I'm one of those that grew up in the lower Pascagoula River Basin as a kid and fished a lot of the old oxbow lakes down there. And uh, now getting to the age where I'm getting closer to retirement, I'd like to go back and see some of that. Uh, I hear about alligators. Are, are, they, are they that prevalent in that area right now? I mean, as far as... Would it one if it's safe to even go back in those lakes now? I know years ago when I was a, a teenager, occasionally you might see an alligator from a distance, but now you, you read in the paper and they're having these alligator rodeos and things like that. Is it still a, a, a fairly un, uncommon to see those those alligators in that area? I'd say it's a lot more common than it used to be. Um, I, you know, if I go into the lower Pascagoula, say in Jackson County, I can almost always find an alligator if I'm out on one of the rivers or in the lakes. But what I have found is that they generally steer clear of humans, and I rarely see really big ones. So, you know, six, seven foot, that's what I'll see in a lake if I'm kayaking, something like that. Um, I, I've never worried about getting in the water with them, but um, now maybe I will, so you mentioned that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I, I was just curious about that because, you know, you do see where they, they have even rodeos now where they go out at night and, uh, and, and capture these things. Well, we have, we have a hunting season on alligators. They're so, right. they're so right. you know, frequently seen. All right, right. read. Thanks for your call. Good to hear from you this morning. Let's move on next. We're going to go to Woodville. Our friend Lee is on the line. Good morning, Lee. Good morning. Good morning. Go I have 
questions for Miss Stowe, and I'll hang up when I'm complete. Okay. One question is, I heard her say that uh, above the Chickasaw and others creeks and all coming into the Pascagoula, what is the total size, or could she give us a size of what the estuary is for the Pascagoula River system? Also, I heard her talking about animals. What about large land mammals such as a subspecies of the Louisiana black bear and also one other, fish? What about the prehistoric sturgeon? Are they found in the Pasagula system? And I'll hang up. Thank you, guys. All right. Always good to hear from you, Lee. Thanks for the call. All right. Thanks. Good questions. Uh, very good questions. Yes, we do have the Louisiana black bear found in the Pascagoula River. There's uh, fairly frequent sightings of those bears. Um, the Gulf sturgeons found in the Pascagoula, they go all the way up to the Bowie River, which is in Hattiesburg, to lay their eggs and then travel back down. So um, the entire Pascagoula River is about 80 miles long. I'm not entirely sure how big the watershed is. It's all of southeast Mississippi, and I want to say 100,000 square miles, but um, I'm not positive about that. All right. Um, Mikey is on the line from Mobile this morning. Good morning, Mikey. Hey, good morning. Um, uh, uh, my question is uh, regarding, first of all, thanks to the Nature Conservancy, um, a wonderful organization, and thank you for thank you. what you do. Um, but uh, uh, my question is regarding the solstice. Um, how does, I've heard that animals can act peculiarly during the solstice, and I'm wondering if, you know, we, we talk about protecting our eyes and all that jazz. Um, do animals uh, naturally not look at, an, at uh, um, a solar eclipse? Do we have any idea? And um, is it a good idea to protect your pets? And I'll listen. All right, Mikey, thanks for the call. Um, I would think instinct tells them not to, uh, but I don't, I don't know for sure. Any, any, any thoughts? It'll be interesting to see if we have a bunch of blind deer and wildlife running around <laughs> after the eclipse. Hopefully, yeah, I've never I, heard of them having any problem. I don't. That. I don't think we will, and I don't think they stare at the sun naturally, uh, even if there's not an eclipse. Uh, I would say if you're overprotective, you could outfit your dog or cat. Uh, I think the best thing to do would be to keep them inside. Uh, but I don't believe they're in any direct danger. They're not. We we're the only ones that are going to be uh, subject to that staring at the. Uh, uh, eclipses it happens and uh i don't believe it's a major issue with animals all right very good and you know i would also say it, it relatively speaking it, it's not a long period of time so um it would be interesting though maybe if, uh, if, to see how your pets react well there there are people that are doing studies on the reactions of pets and uh you know the chickens will probably go roost they'll get back <laughs> up after that and birds will be usually pretty quiet as i understand from past uh Past eclipses are yeah, obvi- obvi- obviously night. the yeah. total last total eclipse was ninety nine years ago, mm. so there wasn't a lot of people out. There weren't a lot of people <laughs> out doing research at that point, probably on it. But uh, there are anecdotal uh, descriptions of uh, the birds and all that. Maybe we'll have um, reports of owls hooting. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And I would say if, if you're one that likes to dress your dog up, get him a 
pair of the glasses so that in case he looks, he, he won't hurt his eyes. Um, uh, Becky, you've got about half a minute left. If you could tell us about uh, the Nature Conservancy and if people want to know more about the Nature Conservancy or possibly uh, join in and help, where can they find more information? Absolutely. They can contact me at rstow at tnc.org. They can get on our website at nature.org slash Mississippi. And we also have a music benefit coming up on August 26th in Pascagoula. We're going to have a great lineup of local and regional artists and uh, if you look at rhythms for the rivers you can google that or get on nature.org slash mississippi and look for rhythms on the rivers and uh come out and join us all right so nature.org slash mississippi a good source for more information about the work the nature conservancy does here in the magnolia state that's going to wrap us up for today creature comforts is a production of mississippi public broadcasting think radio funded provided in part by wildlife mississippi a statewide organization celebrating its 20th year of conserving mississippi's land waters and wildlife and from contribution from listeners like you if you need to hear today's show or previous show one way to find it is to go to mpbonline.org slash creature comforts our show was produced today by java chapman and our call screener was michelle mcadoo so for dr troy major libby hartfield and our guest becky stowe i'm kevin farrell stay tuned up next it's mpb's season pass we'll be back next thursday at nine for another creature comforts it's heard only on mpb think radio this is an mpb think radio podcast To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.